0: welcome back everybody to episode number 11 of the wide lens podcast i've got matt rigby here with me as usual hello and we are recording this on the 7th of april 2022 And we're going to cover the latest topics in financial
1: and investment markets. And we'll kick off with Matt's Mark a Minute. All right, here we go. So the ASX 300 over the last uh, five days, flat, about down 0.7. Year-to-date, down 2%. Not a bad Uh, result. Interestingly, one of the better performing markets in the world in the first quarter this year. Uh, The NASDAQ down about just under 3% over the last five days, down about 9% uh, year-to-date, Uh, Over the last five days, Lululemon came out with some pretty good numbers, up 10% into it, which is the accounting software, up about 2.2%. 27 stocks up over the past week. Uh, Year-to-date of the NASDAQ 100, um, uh, we've got about 47 stocks down more than 10%. That's up slightly from last week, and 22 in positive territory, which is slightly down. Uh, of the, we'll call them security, cloud security companies. So, Okta uh, down 30%, percent z down 25%, CrowdStrike up seven, and Palo Alto Network's up 11. Just thought it was interesting. I think Okta had a, uh, a data breach, or one of the clients had a data breach a couple of, uh, a week or so ago. So, they're down a little bit uh, on the back of that. Um, S&P 500 down 2.3 over the last five days, down 5% year to date. So, not too bad given what happened in the first quarter. Last five days, Twitter up 25%. You may have seen Elon Musk bought in and made a crap load of money off that. He made um, about a billion dollars, didn't he? Uh, yeah, made $780 million yeah. in one day. Yeah. Absurd. Uh, McCormick, the spices company, up about six, Ford down about 10.8 over the last week. Well, Why are they
0: week. up? More people having barbecues and
1: rubbing spice. Uh, they came up with some good numbers. They weren't great, but they're slow and steady. Everyone's still cooking from home, I think. It's a Mm. pandemic hangover, we'll call it. Um, Year-to-date, about 39% of the S&P 500 is positive. That's 196. 183 down uh, more than 10%. Uh, And the retailers, so Costco up about 1.3. Target down about 7. Walmart up, we'll call it 4.5. And Best Buy, the electronics retailer, Mm. down about 8.9 for the year. Uh, emerging markets flat over the week and down about ten percent year to date. They're getting worse, aren't they? It, it it is getting worse, but at a slower rate. Does that make it better? Yeah. I don't
0: know. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, you look at the Nasdaq. You look at the S and P five hundred. Some of those they all bounce. The, bounce right yeah, back. Yeah. Whereas this is still
1: this is going the other way now. Yeah. Yeah. Still at its low. So it, it took a while to sort of tip over. Um, Oil down about 2.8 over the, lo- 2.8 over the last five days. I still up about 28% for the year at about 97 bucks. So I just did some quick numbers. Oil's down about 25% from its peak, but petrol, based on the pump price I saw this morning, down about 15%, including some of that tax coming out. So, oh, including? Including. So if you so strip that those, out, it wouldn't be down. Some as of that. those petrol retailers are making more money, I would assume. So come on, guys. Maybe they haven't. Put the, maybe the guys haven't gone to take the numbers out, and put the new numbers on the board. <laughs> he maybe can't, he can't get it off, so it's just <laughs> thing there. Uh, Bitcoin down about six percent over the last five days. Down about nine percent year to date, sitting at forty three thousand four hundred seventy three US dollars. Oh, you know how we talked last
0: week about uh, was Bitcoin the turning point? It actually was. So look, I was looking at it last night. I was just tying up the dock, and uh, yeah, twenty second, twenty third January, Bitcoin bottomed out. January, no. January. Jan- really? Yeah, January. Bring it up. Oh, yeah. Okay, man. I will. Uh, you keep talking. Check it out. Do, do a run, run the chart for the last Year-to-date.
1: six months. Oh, here it was too. 22nd of January was the bottom. Yeah, Look, Admittingly, 000.
0: we had some rises and falls since then, but, but 22nd of January was the bottom for Bitcoin. And I also, I haven't run it for risky assets like the S&P 500. Um, S&P 500.
1: Year to date, its bottom was where? Oh, like March 14th yeah March eight fourteen. It did yeah. bottom out it,
0: it, on the 27th of January it it, it it rallied but then we had a what a downward trend then right through to March but but Bitcoin was front running all this and it's it's been mm-hmm. rising since 22nd 23rd of January so just for a bit of a laugh I thought that was I thought that was uh, interesting very I thought that interesting. that was quite funny um so last mm-hmm. week we were talking about Larry Fink came out talking about the the death of uh, Globalization, yep. And we were chatting, and I mentioned that um, I was listening to someone talk about the the, what like what metric are you going to watch that will tell you that the world has gone from globalized to Mm deglobalized? And he was saying that it would, uh, it would. You want to watch Apple? That you want to see Apple? Moving onshore, or however they're going to start managing their business, that will be the trigger point to verify whether this thing is true or not. Yep. Interestingly, I feel like this flies in the face of deglobalization. Uh, Bloomberg had an article Apple weighs more memory chip suppliers, including China. Um, Kyoksum mishap may mean more business for rival memory makers. One option is including a Chinese chip maker for the very first time. I'll just, I'll just quote this from, uh, from Bloomberg. Apple is exploring new sources of the, of the memory chips that goes into the iPhones, including its first Chinese producer of the critical component, after a disruption at a key Japanese partner exposed the risks, of, risks of its, to its global supply. Uh, Apple remains keen to diversify its network. I think was, this was a quote from, uh, from Apple. Apple remains keen to diversify its network and offset the risk of further disruption from the pandemic what do you think about that i I also just before you answer that though i did read in the in in the article that different um manufacturers may supply for different versions of the phone so if you've got Uh, the the cheaper version you've got a manufacturer that's in japan we've got a chinese manufacturer then you've got samsung producing this particular chip for this particular particular phone etc yep um i think it like i think it'll be a massive win for chinese companies if uh, if they can land that, yeah. I think there'll be a much higher degree of confidence in not that, i don't think there's a, a, uh, i don 't think the confidence lacks there, but I think it'll just be a massive win for Chinese companies doing business with such a large co- international company. Yeah. whether that flies in the face of u s manufacturing i don 't know what do you what do you think about that do you think that is a that is a, a deglobalization um, uh factor or do you do you think this is just bau for for apple
1: uh i I find it interesting um that whoever it was you're listening to said watch apple i think that's really interesting uh uh, as for this move because what else is the metric uh, what else is the thing that's going to tell you that we've deglobalized how do you how do you quantify closing a factory somewhere and opening it opening it somewhere else i don't no idea but but this move is interesting Given all the issues China had, obviously COVID starting there, all the shutdowns, they're shutting down again, and it's already impacting um, Foxconn. Uh, so it's interesting that they'd go back there and not look somewhere else, you know, to a uh, you know, in Japan? I don't know. I like, yeah, why not? No idea. Build their own in in Texas or California or somewhere. Um, it, it, you know, they've all got, already got a lot of supply coming out of China, so they. Not doubling up, but they're, they're adding to that. There must be. I mean, you could imagine the Chinese mm-hmm. government would be viewing this as a big win. Like they could tout that as 100. You know, we've got Apple on board. You know, blah blah blah. So they, they, I could only imagine the size of Apple, the sway that they have, that there must have some sort of certainty or assurances from the Chinese government that if you open this up, we won't shut this down we know how critical it is it's got to keep going because i mean they're shutting down shanghai and like yeah cities of 10 12 40 million people <laughs> shutting them down so uh i found that really interesting um and it would be fascinating to know whether it's just for local like whether that's a you know phones that are produced local or in asia or, or for sale in those areas i mean you know Forever, I think, or not forever, for quite a while, Apple haven't been the largest reseller or seller of um, phones in China. So, does that play into it? Does that open up or give them a stronger, uh, you know, say in that Chinese market or, or more appeal in that Chinese market if they've got you know chips being made locally? Uh, you know, Tim Cook's a smart dude. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Uh, I'm sure all of how that is these. Th- how do you think it. the US sort of views this? Uh, yeah, as, as it relates to. I don't know what ship manufacturing capacities like in the US. Mm. I have a feeling some there's one or two factories being or manufacturing facilities being built in the US, and they're hideously expensive, like mm. billions of dollars to build one. Uh, so I don't know what sort of capacities on shore there. Um, you yeah, know, Apple have been pretty successful in developing their own chips. Mm. Obviously, not they're not making them. Mm. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure they'd like to, but yeah, maybe it comes down to cost. Maybe the cost is just that much cheaper in China relative to going to the US. That Can take makes, that risk. You know, yeah. Worth paying off. I don't know. What do you think? It, uh, I don't know. Do you know what manufacturing is like in, in the no, US? No. I chips? mean, I was, more so, I was looking
0: more so at it as a,
1: what does this mean
0: for globalisation or deglobalization yeah. more so than which chip manufacturer is going to be helpful to Apple or or not. Um, interestingly we'll talk a little bit later Um, maybe this again maybe this whole deglobalization is probably not going to go as far as everyone just coming back on shore and starting to manufacture and produce and ship and and so forth uh, where they're domiciled I don't know if it's going to go that extreme but how much sense does it make when you start diversifying your inputs right so instead of it Mm -hmm. coming from one major manufacturer you've got one manufacturer inputting for your base model than you've got for your, I don't know, for your S or for your whatever, whatever different versions of the phone you have. To me, that makes a lot more sense than going the other way whereby your risks are far greater. Yeah. If you've got an earthquake in Japan, which disrupts chip making, and we're already seeing chips and we'll talk about it later on. Uh, that, that whole um, uh, time frame to get chips is not getting any quicker. Mm. And so I th- diversifying makes complete sense uh, to me, but it, it's how do you then manage when one thing goes wrong, does one chip then fit into the na- next phone? How do you make sure it's priced properly because you've got a more expensive chip going in a cheaper phone? It doesn't the, work. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure this has all been thought of. So it's
1: also interesting, you know, we spoke a few weeks ago about all these companies' reactions to Russia and the invading the Ukraine. And I think you posed the question, um, what if it was China? Would they pull out of China and, and you know, China obviously have a lot of stuff going on in human rights, you know, violations and all the rest of it. So, well, beyond clearly that, clearly, it's not Apple's. <laughs> That's no, not their concern. It, no, it's not. At this point, I don't know. It, it it is interesting, and from that globalization, it yeah, it kind of makes sense to regionalize given what we've gone through. But it's an expensive exercise to do that, and you've got to have that capacity and the facilities there or proven skilled workforce to you know, you can't just open up a. A chip manufacturing facility in, I don't know, Brazil. You've got to have the skilled workforce and and all that sort of stuff. So, but your
0: point before about uh, Russia and China, is there not a, um, is there not something going on with China? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not keeping up with it all, but a uh, China and Russia maybe not on a similar page with whatever uh, foreign dealings they've got with each other. And if that is the case, then. You know, this whole support Russia, don't support Russia thing. Like, I just, again, I don't know how, where, like, where, where does it actually stop? Um, but so far, th- it doesn't yeah. look like it's, it's stopping anytime soon as it relates to, to China. No. Um, let, let's move on. I don't, I look, I, just, to, just to wrap up on that one, I don't think this whole deglobalization is going to go from a fully globalised world to we are now bringing manufacturing back on shore no, and everything's has no, controlled here. I think yeah. it's somewhere in
1: between. Yeah, as always. All right, right, so next one, uh, nowhere to hide. So you may have been aware the first quarter wasn't great. Uh, Stocks were down a little bit at at one point uh, and came back. But um, So this article, again from Bloomberg, was just looking at, uh, and there's a chart here which we'll bring up in a second, but it's basically looking at stocks and bonds, what happened during the first quarter, and essentially losing 5% was the best that you could do whether you're in stocks or whether you're in bonds, like that's your best outcome. And it just got worse from there. So we'll bring up this chart here. Um, So stocks and bond investors just had the toughest quarter in decades. So you can see here on the left-hand side, 1980, uh, the period 1983, 84, you see at the start of 1980 was the, uh, I guess, equivalent. It looks like the best you could do at that point was down just a bit over 5%. And here on the right-hand side, 2022, uh, again, stocks and bonds. Uh, the best we could do was down just under five percent. Not too bad. We
0: haven't I seen guess. that for well. I mean, well, <laughs> as the chart for says, years. since nineteen
1: eighty.
0: <laughs> uh, we have had some like late in the mid nineties, and I mean, you know, one, two, three, four, five, like six or seven times in the last forty-two years that we've seen this. So it's pretty, pretty extraordinary. Um, yeah, I, I was the- I was reading the article actually, and it said. More than $3 trillion was a raise from bond and equity values in the first quarter as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the first time since 2018. The question I have is where the hell did the money, money go? People report these things like in a puff of smoke, this money just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Where does the money go? It goes to cash. It has to go somewhere. It can't just be taken away and miraculously disappear into the ether. Yeah. A, it has to go somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, did it did it go into crypto did i mean we saw a few weeks ago i think i had an article where short duration bonds is where a lot of stuff is going and that's that's near cash uh you know so they're really short dated short-term bonds so that you'd call that in the cash basket um but this is talking about just having a look uh
0: the least bad performance among US assets were declines of 4.9% in the S&P 500 and speculative credit. They were followed by 5.6% fall in treasuries and 7.8 uh fall in investment grade. Yeah. Like, so uh, I, I don't
1: know, is it, ca- is it alternatives? Is it you know,
0: private equity? Well, is put it-, it this way, the money's the money's going no, I don't I don't I don't think it's going there. I think I think those inflows have have slowed down. Probably. Um but I think there's there's cash and it, it's a matter of time before that cash gets redeployed. Yeah,
1: well, that was going to be my next point is like the waves, tide going out, tide coming back in, cash going the, the out, cash going to come mo- back in at some the point. The money
0: is not going to sit in cash forever. No. Even as the Fed raises rates, what are you going to go from 25 to 50? You're at 75. You're at 1%. You, do, you, do you think people are going to hold cash at a 1% uh,
1: federal reserve rate? Uh, I think some will, but it won't be a large portion. I, 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 mean, I agree. It, you know, maybe – well, f- you know, we've seen for a long time, and, you know, we've seen these people are going, well, I've got X amount of cash, what the hell am I going to do with it? You know, 10 years ago it was, I've got X amount of cash, oh, I can get a TD at five you percent know, 5%, 5% yeah. 3%, whatever. It's not great, but it's something – I mean, you can't even get 1%. But, but also,
0: now. even if you get 1%, you've got that group of people that say, well, I'm going to move this money from this puff of smoke that it disappeared from into into bonds. Naturally, if you've got that much cash sitting on the sidelines, you're, naturally, you're going to have a natural bid on yield, which means there's going to be this – I feel like there'll be this natural limit whereby if you hit 1.5%, 2 2.5%, the Australian 10-year bonds at 2.5%. Yep. And if that's where things are at, you, you're, I'm confident you'll have investors being pretty happy with a two and a half percent yield, and they will bid that yield down. You, you, you're not going, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to raise it much more than that. I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And you know, factor inflation into that. So you're getting one percent inflation to, I don't know, what four, three, four, five, whatever it, it is. So you're three. still losing. You're a bunch still losing of money. money, but uh, yeah. maybe you're losing less. And but, so you know,
0: I, I reckon there will be a. Reallocation uh, and look, bonds have had one of the worst years on almost on record as well. So the, yeah. the amount of outflows yep. we have been seeing in bonds is insane.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's clearly not coming back into equity So it's it's got to be for now. Yeah, sitting in cash. <laughs> look out when it comes back though; it'll come back hard, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. Think you get that this.
1: I, don't want to miss out mentality. I yeah, think yeah, that's, we'll that's a whole
0: other topic, which. I'm sure we will get to at some point. Um, but I wanted to jump onto uh, most expensive property and most expensive assets around the world. Knight Frank had um, just uh, had – well, I, I recently came across their 2022 wealth report. Mm-hmm. This particular one uh, – and I'll bring this, bring this uh, infographic up now. It's, it's by Statista who took the info from uh, Knight Frank – and it looks at the most expensive square meterage of prime property in the world. So prime property, it's not looking at you know, every... Um, every piece of property. Every you know, piece of property. It's a it's, particular it's, city. Pr- and we'll get to it later as to how f- Knight Frank look at prime. So in Monaco, you can buy 15 square meters of residential property for a million dollars. Hong Kong, New York, London, Singapore, Geneva, Sydney's. I didn't... I think Sydney would be up there, but yeah. they're in the top six. Uh, one, two, seven. three, four, five, seven, top seven. Let's say the top ten. Yeah. Shanghai, Paris, Los Angeles, Beijing, Tokyo, Berlin, Miami, Melbourne. I was surprised by that. I didn't think Melbourne Madrid, would do Mumbai, and so on. Uh, what do you think about this? Is, the, is the, the narrative that we hear in the papers all day, every day, as bad as, I mean they're not even it's not even the top 10 well it's still Melbourne it's
1: pretty close I, I I was surprised that that Melbourne was up that high um equally I was surprised Sydney was that high as well um you know um, the Canadian Vancouver and uh Toronto I mean they were always touted as some of the most expensive property in the world yep. they've come back down yeah um yeah, you know, Chicago, San Francisco. Uh, yeah, there were a few ones that, a few cities there I was a bit like, oh, okay. Um, what's the, nar- the narrative? I, I mean, I, I think for Melbourne, for its size, its location in the world, you know, we're not in a big hub like an Asian hub or European hub, North American, um, Sydney as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think it, it's expensive, but what do you get for that? You, know, like, you get 84 so, square metres of prime residential property. Yeah, but is it, are you in built-up areas? You know, if you've got big towers next to you... Uh, well, it's, pr- it's got- prime property. So so, so define prime. Like, I don't know how is, Knight
0: Frank defined prime property,
1: but it's not like... Like Turac, Yeah. As opposed to... Sure. What, Williamstown? I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Brighton? Don't know. Um, yeah, look, it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to see the history of how that has changed sure. relative to other cities over the last I, I think Night no, Frank might even have that. Um,
0: the, the way I kind of see it is you can you – can, I don't know if you've um, – if you're looking at Asia, uh, especially in Hong Kong, like the living conditions and how people live there mm-hmm. versus how someone lives in Melbourne. Yeah. Plus you get a, a – you get property that is four times the size – Versus that of Hong Kong, oh. like I don't know. It just, like the way I say its yeah. it is, it it, it it is what it is. Property around the world has gone bonkers. Yep. Uh, in the US, uh, here it mm-hmm. has gone berserk. I think also there's a, an aspect, an element of interest rates just going to zero, which naturally has a correlation to higher debt, which yep. naturally then leads on to higher property prices. Yep. And so for those reasons, this this doesn't surprise me my um if i'm a, a, a property bull what i would say is well there's a long way to go for property in melbourne yeah this I, thing could keep going and you could start buying the only thing a million dollars is going to get you is 50 square meters of, of, of prime property
1: <laughs> that's crazy would you trade your 84 square meters in melbourne for 56 in beijing or 108 in mumbai
0: yeah, would you go? To, would you Not go? No chance. To, no. Well, so why do you? Th- that's why there's. A, I think there's a premium for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's. I hadn't thought about that. Are you right. going go to go to Cape point. Town and have? No. You know,
0: like, come on, man. Like no way. These are all these intangible yeah. things that I think mm-hmm. we need to look at. Look, it is. It is what it is. I, I want to move on to the next one. Uh, and look, I think there could be way to go here, but interest rates rising. I don't think they're going to rise as much as everybody thinks they're going to rise. I. Uh, I think. Maybe the Reserve Bank, the, the Federal Reserve, does push the gas too quickly and too hard. There is a risk of, of that happening. But again, remember we are only at the beginning of the tightening cycle. We haven't even, um, we haven't even peaked, right? So I think there's still we haven't bit... even
1: started here in Australia. <coughs> no, we haven't yeah, started here in, start, here in here so. in Australia
0: yet. So I think that will take a bit of, t- take a bit of the gas out of, mm. of of all of this. Um, but I don't know. I just. I fundamentally believe we just there is a shortage and not enough supply. You might be able to get another five
1: square metres for million bucks in Melbourne. If you're lucky. They <laughs> will
0: drop down to to eighty nine. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I found really fascinating: NFTs, jets, wine, watches, and the hottest luxury investments of the year by Knight Frank. This is their. Let's get this table up now. It's their uh, luxury investment index. And what it looks at is prime property in the Gold Coast, in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Brisbane, in Perth. Is there prime property in Perth? Shout out to all of our friends in Perth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Australian prime property as an index. And there's a whole bunch of other assets in there, wine and watches, art, coins, rare whiskey, handbags, cars, jewelry, colored diamonds, and furniture. And then in the second column, they've got the 2020-21 annual change to the one-year change and the rank and also the 10-year change from 2011 to 2021. The things that stood out for me was uh, how little the uh, prime residential index rose mm-hmm. relative to that of a broader residential property index, yep. as well as a increase from 2011 to 2021. I'd say most residential it wouldn't surprise me if most residential properties doubled. Yeah. here that's it's done half that. Yep. You know, we spoke to a client um, today who sold a property circa five million dollars, and you know they were saying, "Oh, I didn't." You know, during our time, we only didn't go up as much. And I think you know that's anecdotal, but it really speaks to the fact that uh, there's. Uh, the, the, you get to a certain point where those percentage rises aren't, you know, 100%, 75%, etc. cetera. Yep. But the thing that stood out for me was why do you think rare whiskey is up 428% over the last 10 years?
1: I don't know, man. It's rare. I got no idea. That's, uh, that was shocking. Um, but is it that, you know, I remember listening to a fund manager a little while ago and they were saying uh, that they had done a bunch of research and they they noticed that during times of, market economic turmoil Ferrari Louis Vuitton these sorts of things continue Mm -hmm. to sell really well because the wealthy just didn't care just didn't matter yes because they got that much money they can still afford to buy their Ferrari yes Um, so I wonder if it kind of falls into that basket whereas it just doesn't matter we've got the money we'll just buy it because the price is what the price is but you look at some of these
0: numbers coloured diamonds went up 23% in 10 years that's nothing who's wasting time doing these things furniture Cars. And look, there's there's an aspect of beyond the monetary value for some of these things. I think there's an aspect of- yeah. uh, Like
1: art. Yeah, like I've en- got en- a- Enjoyment. Whatever. Van Gogh on my wall. Who cares if it's going up or not, but it's pretty yeah. cool. But also I also think there's some flex in it, right? Like, I don't, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but don't you reckon there's some flex, like this car that I've got, the, yeah. the, the colored diamonds that we have, the NFTs that I'm buying. The watch, the handbags, you know. But I think, like, to me, I, I look at this. Are these are these some of the best investment decisions you can make? Shit, no. No. I would have probably drank the rare whiskey before it even saw 10 years. <laughs> so, like, I wouldn't even have been able to monetize the, the damn thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look at whiskey versus wine. Like, wine's 137 over 10 years, whiskey 428. There's a huge difference. So, it's not an alcohol thing. It's a... Whiskey specific, so Maybe it's just become more popular. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and, and I think
0: with you know, people talking about NFTs and crypto and, and whatnot, um, I, you know, you look at some of these things. You throw that in the basket. Yes, there will be some massive winners out of those. But also, how many tech companies started during the tech bubble and how many are actually left, right? So yeah. there's going to be a, a ton that absolutely fail and nothing yep. happens with. Yep. And but I don't think you're going to have those massive winners unless you have the sheer flooding of businesses trying to make a dollar out of it
1: right well and they do right i mean every time uh, something new comes along something goes up in value you get all these people coming in trying to replicate right. that and it's uh, that's right it's often too late at that point
0: um, let's let's skip let's skip the next one i reckon we'll just jump straight to Um, what we've been talking about, which is infrastructure in in a rising yield environment.
1: Yeah, so this is something that uh, I've been reading more and more about. You've probably seen it. Um, So the narrative is that uh, during times of rising inflation and therefore rising interest rates, infrastructure assets tend to do better. Why is that? So the reason being, uh, let's take Transurban toll roads as an example. So big infrastructure asset, they've got their tolls. In their contract, they are able to and will increase their prices by x percent every single year now whether that's a stated percent or an inflation plus one percent two percent whatever that number is but they can increase so it's a regulated increase they can do it every year gas companies uh yeah electricity the whole lot so um for that reason uh they are and natural, or lend themselves to being a bit of an inflation hedge. So, if inflation's at three percent and they can rise, you know, increase prices by inflation plus two, then they're always growing their real economic profits or real economic revenue over and above inflation. So that's the that's the theory. Um, infrastructure and property are often thrown in together, but we were having a look at some charts uh, earlier today, uh, and it was really interesting that that during times of short I'll say short but sharp rapid interest rate increases infrastructure will do well for a period of time but as soon as that sort of rolls over and those those interest rate increases start to fall and typically that's at at, at a top of a market and the market then tends to fall or an economic correction um, they tend to underperform they tend to kind of fall back during benign times of no real inflation, no real interest rate, they tend to not do a lot until they get to that next cyclical point of interest rates going up again. Then, yeah, they kind so of. So, why up do again.
0: people uh, invest in? Is it from a is it a cash flow thing? Is it a hedge? Is it a b- all it, of the above? Like, what is it? it? Why, why do people do these? Why do people invest in It's sold as a hedge. Right. I mean,
1: it's sold as a a hedge for hedging against inflation, and you know mm-hmm. we're we're seeing it. Uh, promoted now So But isn't um, real estate Also
0: a hedge against inflation To the extent That your tenant uh, You have natural in, Or CPI Increases At renewals I think every year?
1: Depending on the property Sure um, okay. Yeah Commercial Industrial Retail uh, Residential I don't Yeah That's usually fixed And all the rest of it So Yeah I think it is um, But also I guess With the, property As rates rise The, the capital
0: value Starts to come down, well,
1: yeah, that's right. right. And, and so there's this. Presumably, so, it will for infrastructure too, if you're using the same sort of discount sure, methodology. Sure. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, it, um, it's property's definitely and always touted as as a, an inflationary hedge. But infrastructure, it kind of comes in and out. I mean, it's a good diversify. Yeah. So regard, we, we, when we're looking at this, right, correlates to property pretty well.
0: It correlates very highly with property, mm. but also what we found was that. There was no long-term outperformance relative right? to property. To property, yep. yep. No, no long-term outperformance. The so for, that's the first thing. Second thing is is that we're trying to and and the the return is persistent to the extent that it. We found that infrastructure does well during rate rise periods. Yes, but what we also looked at is how long do rate rises periods last, and so. Yeah. I feel like people are trying to hedge against this event that happens you know one every five years and it doesn't even last that that long either mm. and so why are we foregoing why are we going down that path trying to hedge something for such a short period of time whilst for three out of the four years or four out of five years we could be participating in 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 assets that are that are growing significantly in value beyond that of infrastructure yeah and we found that over long periods of time infrastructure does kind of what what property, property does. does
1: and i think also it also depends on where that money's coming from you know so maybe you know like with property you've got people going in for different reasons some are going in for income so some are going in for capital growth some are going in for a you know a rally you know an inflation hedge or a a relative value type play. Uh, I think infrastructure is the same. They, in theory, well, as interest rates are going up, then they're, they're offering quite leveraged assets. So their costs are going up or their borrowing costs are going up while they're able to push their prices up. And do you get a real benefit? Maybe not. Do you think um, enough
0: investors look at these things or do they just get the, the sales pitch? And yeah, that anecdotally, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, I think it's the sales pitch. I mean because uh, it does work right i mean if i show you a snapshot of this during this period inflation did this interest rates did this sure infrastructure sure. did this and australian shares did this um you go okay well it works it does but Big zoom picture. out yeah. 10 years and you go oh, actually no i'm probably worse and, off. I, and, and so maybe
0: maybe it does work if you want to take a short-term punt game well let's let's we got rates rising let's 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 get into infrastructure. Yeah. Let's get out of infrastructure the, at the at the top, because then when rates start coming down, you've yep. got a massive tailwind for for property and you start you see property start rallying as we've seen over the course of the last fifteen years. But the
1: key is knowing the top and knowing the bottom, yeah. as we've <laughs> talked so the, many times, right? So That's the challenge. If, right? if you know the top, then absolutely uh, but I, well, I think there's guarantee m- you don't there's so. more <laughs> you could probably do than just sell out of your infrastructure fund if you knew that that was <laughs> yeah, the top, right? Exactly right. Uh, yeah, so look, really interesting. Again, that, that promotion versus what, what's the really reality happens. over a long yeah. period of time uh, and is so often the case, doesn't quite Do you feel like
0: helped. also it's like another sub, like a subcategory or a sub-asset class
1: that we've ring-fenced
0: so that we've got specialists in it and people can just sell stuff to people?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I also think there's a difference between unlisted and listed as with property as well. You know, we saw that the, the listed property was so volatile know it's up and it's down infrastructure was less volatile over periods of you know big economic uncertainty and turmoil but it underperforms Uh, constantly but it underperforms outside of those periods right until you've got a rate rise in normal period normal times which is the majority of the time um yeah so i think uh, you know and i've always kind of viewed infrastructure and property in the same sort of basket Mm. and those returns kind of prove well that Mm. that's right maybe it's a a slightly less volatile trip with infrastructure, but you kind of end up at the same point mm. over longer periods of time. But there will be periods of pretty you know, Significant reasonable underperformance, underperformance and short periods of outperformance. And, and
0: I wonder whether investors could let that ride for 10 or 12 or 15 years where you have, signi- you have underperformance consistently mm-hmm. year after year after year. My yeah, guess well, is people s- pull the pin.
1: We saw – was it post-GFC – pre-COVID, that almost entire yeah. period of underperformance based years. on the index we are looking at. So yeah, yeah uh, you know, as long as you know why you're going in there uh, and that continues to be the case, then uh, you should be able to write it out. But as we've seen so many times, people can't so they'll, they'll jump in and out and lose all that opportunity. All right, Let's on. jump on the next one. Uh, okay, so next one. Um, This is yet another article by Bloomberg. Maybe Bloomberg should be sponsoring us. We uh, we tend to reference them a lot. Um, I just think they've got bloody good coverage. Like they do
0: global coverage, and the stories are just they've got people everywhere. I mean, their terminals
1: are just there's just so much information. We love our
0: Bloomberg. If you are looking for marketing and
1: advertising, come on down. We
0: we hit 100 subscribers on our YouTube channel last week, so So we we are (laughs) we are open for business.
1: Uh, All right, so company profits beat uh, best year since 1950. Uh, Again, this is US data, so um, we'll bring up this chart in a second. So the headline is, profits soar as US corporates have best year since 1950. New data shows earnings jumped 35% in 2021, while workers got an 11% bump. Um, So this chart here, which we'll bring up now, profit margin for non-financial corporate businesses after tax so your net profit margin. Last year, US Business has posted its fastest profit growth since 1950. And when I saw this, I almost wondered whether they misprinted it, because uh, it was quite uh, a spike. I mean, look at the just the size of that move is ridiculous. Uh, but maybe it's, it's all relative to where we're coming from. So uh, 2020, profits are depressed, no one's buying stuff, very quickly turns around. You don't have to well, – you've furloughed workers or you've put them off. You've got government incentives. You've got uh, margin expansion. You know, all of these sorts of things. People staying at home. Uh, tons of government money floating around. Sales go crazy. Uh, yeah, but and, is it, isn't
0: it also just a reflection of what's been going on? Like, we've seen earnings per – so, US – we were looking at this uh, this morning as well. Uh, US S&P 500 EPS is at abs, is record it, levels. Yep. And yeah. the the key driver of that was was margin, margin expansion. Yeah,
1: margin expansion. And I wonder if the supply chain issues have actually helped in a weird way. So we can't get as much stock as we want, so we're going to bump up the price of the stuff that we've already got, uh, and that obviously helps for that margin expansion. So and
0: people are prepared to pay for it. And we've seen it. We've we talked about it in numerous episodes before you know we talked about nike last time uh, with you know everyone's talking about inflation inflationary pressures Mm -hmm. yet companies continue to uh post stellar returns stellar new high profits and their earnings are just they're hitting record earnings yeah Uh, and 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 what we haven't seen jp morgan did their guide to markets recently and and having a look at s&p 500 when we see huge margin expansions like this i mean we haven't seen it at, to this extent in the past. Mm-hmm. But when you have large profit increases and margin expansion, what happens typically, you can't keep that up. No, And so you start to – margins start to compress. Yep. Uh, and, I mean, doesn't mean profits fall. Maybe it does. But that starts to decline. And you just can't keep up at that pace. Make hay while the sun shines,
1: right? Uh, get out there and boost them while you can. And everyone's expecting prices to go up, so – I guess this is the time to to uh, increase your margins. Where you so you can. said
0: while workers got an eleven percent bump, so we were talking about that last week, and I said, remember, I yeah, said that's right. And it I was said about it ten and a half percent. Wasn't yep, uh, increase because mm-hmm. um, there's that second chart yeah. now. Uh, so what's that, employee? So sorry, yeah, go, go ahead, employee so, compensation <laughs> share. We, we've got this sorted, haven't we? Yeah, share absolutely. of gross value added by non-financial corporations. After a pandemic spike, the share of output that goes to workers is back where it was in 2019. That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, so the share that goes to workers is back to where it was in 2019. So that's out of all sales, the percent that represents wages,
1: so and bonuses, I presume. Right.
0: As a percentage, but it doesn't – so you can see the massive spike, right, during COVID. Yeah. Is that because profits fell significantly and then you've got – as a percentage, you've got compensation to employees yep. higher. Now you've got wage increases and you've got increases, uh, margin expansion, and so you go back to where you were in 2019. Doesn't that, like, logically make Makes sense? sense. If you yeah. carve out that massive spike, yep. doesn't that kind of make sense? So essentially dude? you've got
1: wages going up a little, sales going up an enormous amount, and therefore profits, because margins have expanded. And that's why you've got this big spike or big drop back drop from where back, it was. Because yeah. from
0: before you had profit you had earnings like nothing. Depressed. Correct. And that's why and your wage
1: wage base is a fixed amount for a period of that's time. Right. Get rid of a bunch of people, sales go up. Yeah, no, So, is is this
0: an indication of normalization? Are we
1: normalizing here, Matt? I don't know, but look, pre 2000. So, well, yeah. I mean, it's what that's so the spike was almost back to where was that mid range of normal. Mm. Uh, I don't know.
0: I, I don't know what happened in the early 2000s where you had, I don't know, maybe it's experienced baby boomers that. Are getting paid more and they've dropped out and And, you know during the gfc we saw people their retirement be fast forward and go well that's it i'm i'm I'm, i've I've retired and even that i mean the pandemic also yeah but i wonder if that's got anything to do i don't know i'm literally shooting the wind right now i've got i've got (laughs) no idea but to me that makes sense
1: yeah it doesn't seem out of the ordinary uh we'll try and work out what's going on there
0: (laughs) Um, let's jump on to director's cuts. The first one I want to talk about, we, we chatted about this last week, and interestingly, Apple came out with this the other day. Uh, we were talking about whether or not the, the whole work from home, the office mm-hmm. thing, is that permanent? Is, How many days Is, is there an end? The, the, what was it? What we told the, the, the end of an office era. Yes. And ironically, um, this is a headline again from our good friends at Bloomberg, Apple makes it easy to work remotely. Unless you work for Apple. (laughs) The company's relatively inflexible remote work policies are inspiring some employees to look elsewhere. So Apple go on to say, uh, employees are, so this is in a memo to Apple uh, employees, are required back in the office at least once a week by April the 11th, so next week. Twice a week by the end of the month and on Monday, Tuesdays and Thursdays by May 23. So basically in six weeks time, Mm -hmm. they're in there three days a week. All of them are eligible for an extra month of remote work annually. Uh, and I think this was Tim Cook quote, we have an opportunity to combine the best of what we have learned about working remotely with the irreplaceable benefits of in-person collaboration.
1: Mm. What do you think about this? I, I find it interesting. And, and Apple, you would think, is a pretty collaborative, try and be innovative uh, company. You know, there's a lot of working. And you know we find it that... That in person working in a team is so much easier, it flows a lot better in mm. person, so someone like a you know, Apple software uh, hardware developer and, and um, you know seller it, it kind of makes sense that they 'd be pushing that and What I find really interesting though is Apple just went through a big payment a bonus they payment of for all their employees to retain to try, and, to try and retain them, and yet this would seem to suggest that. Maybe they don't want the money. Maybe they want work. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. really interesting. So um, that'll be one to watch. See if the other big tech, you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, etc., uh, if they follow. But uh,
0: yeah, Netflix came out a long time ago. They were trying to get people back into the office. I, I, I think. I think. The, I mean, this is extreme, man. These people are working every day at home. Like every day. So what,
1: like Tim? Seven Cook- days every day. No, five days five, every day. What
0: are you talking about? Seven. Well, every day. Five days. Five, day, five Every, days every a working
1: week. day, they're working at home. But the U.S. I, I wonder what the the norm is over there in the U.S. Like here, I would say three days a week is the norm. But maybe it's not over there. Maybe okay, Maybe the competition for for employees is Staff so Staff are pissed. Yeah. So there's, mm.
0: there's um. So 100. So, seven, so including 7,500 7, of Apple's 165,000 employees who belong to a Slack room dedicated to advocating for remote work, <laughs> uh, it was bruising. Quote, they're trolling us, right? Others are calling it distasteful and insulting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, the underlying message, Apple knows corporate employees using its products as tools can capably work from home, so why can't its own staff? Well, it's a fair point. So, what are Just, they going to do with their massive campus in where in, is it uh, Cupertino. Cupertino? Have you seen that campus? Yeah, it's crazy. It looks the like donut, something right? that from from space. Looks insane.
1: Could be. Who knows?
0: So, um, look, I thought I thought that was interesting. Uh, my feeling is, I reckon I reckon employers want more collaboration. I don't think anyone's saying everyone has to go and you have to work from the office every day. Sure. But I think I, I think we are going to move back to this. Hybrid. Two, three to four days office. That, yeah. That's my feel.
1: I think it's, I think most people probably expect that to happen. Yeah, but they'll oh. resist it as long as they can. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm gonna jump down to this one, uh, which is a bit of a bugbear for most people. Uh, so how gas prices compare <laughs> around the world? I found this one from Statista, uh, which was fascinating because. So I've got family that live in the US, and when every time I'm over there, they're whinging about gas petrol prices per gallon per gallon. And I'm like, always trying to work out the How gallon to that? liter conversion <laughs> and the Aussie to us dollar. It's and guys like You're like paying like 90 cents a litre. Like shut over. up. Yeah, exactly right. So I saw this and someone has done it for me, uh, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So uh, this is the price of one gallon uh, of gasoline or petrol by country territory as of March 28, 2022 in us dollars. So you can see here on this chart, um, yeah, so the yellow is very cheap. The bright red is extremely expensive. And we're not bright red, but we're pretty damn close. New Zealand is uh, one of the more expensive places in the world. Look at Europe. As is most of Europe. Why is... Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Russia. Well, yeah, it's that kind problem. of doesn't help, right? Uh, Russia, a lot of the oil-producing states, you know, in uh, South America, Africa, Middle East, so are we Are on par with the U.S.? Uh, no, so the US are orange, so like so. There's there's a quote here. Orange, so right. even if as a gas price of around four dollars sixty a gallon on average, Americans are still paying much less to fill up their cars than people in many industrialized nations, including other car-based economies like Brazil, Australia, or South Africa. Um, all three nations were already paying between five forty-eight and five eighty-six a gallon. So that's what's mm-hmm. that? Eighty cents. So what about? 25, 30% more than what the Yanks are paying. Uh, Europe has some of the highest gasoline prices in the world. Most of Western Europe is paying upwards of $6 a gallon as of March 28th. Um, some of the highest paying, uh, highest prices being charged in the Netherlands, Finland, Germany, Denmark and Norway. Germany, one of the most expensive made European economies, uh, where they're paying about $8.60 a gallon. And they have electric cars they got a lot. What are the Germans doing? Finland have a lot of electric cars. Aren't they on scooters or something? I don't know. Norway produce a lot of oil. Uh, That's their sovereign wealth funds basically built off Mm. selling oil. Uh, But they've still got one of the highest. So unlike the Middle East and Russia where they subsidise heavily Mm. uh, because they produce so much of it, Norway actually taxes it quite Mm. a bit, which goes to the greater good.
0: What What do you think about oil? What do you think about this as it relates to fueling
1: cars? Well, I think, um, it, well, as I said earlier, petrol prices dropped fifteen percent. and Oil's dropped about twenty-five, and the government's come out and tried to cut tax on and you know in there as well. Look, I don't think oil price. I think we all know this. The petrol price isn't going back to where it was six months ago. I don't think we'll see a dollar Like
0: high, I don't think yeah. we'll
1: no no. I don't think we'll get back down to a oh, dollar thirty. To. I think that's gone. I think maybe a dollar fifty. How much was it before be all
0: this happened? Uh, what what was like petrol? one thirty? Okay.
1: I remember in covid it got almost under a dollar. Didn't quite get there, but it was hanging around like a yeah, dollar a liter, even though the price of oil was negative. Yeah, you couldn't go out and <laughs> get it. The petrol station should have been paying down, you right? to fill up the fuel <laughs> and
0: drive out of the servo.
1: <laughs> a dollar 20 discount for your uh, no, yeah. for your um, yeah. diesel. Uh, anyway, diesel. so I think I think what that means is petrol prices are staying high; it'll flow through to inflation. And uh, if you want cheap petrol, then you live in Russia or the Middle East, and maybe that's a trade-off: cheap petrol with I don't know freedoms mm. or whatever it is. Uh, I think yeah. our, I think our what
0: Australia needs to do is start um, investing in charging stations, superchargers around the country. Mm. I think that'll help boost electric vehicle sales. Makes but then again, there's people that, people that talk about. Uh, and I, look, I don't know the details. Topic for another day. But what happens with batteries? Like, how long do they last? The, how long the, do they last? The minerals that go into batteries. I mean, they are going to come from somewhere. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's, like, I feel like it's a bit of a.
1: That'll be the next. I wonder if that'll be the next industry is recycling those batteries. Like, is there a way to harvest some of that material that's in there? It has to be. Surely. Uh, it has to be. But yeah, and no, it makes me want to buy an electric car. Maybe start with a
0: scooter and zip around town and and see what it's like. Let's jump into tips and recommendations. What do you got for us today? Uh,
1: So I got a cop out um, because I was somewhat ill prepared. Uh, So I played golf during the week at a golf course down at Cape (laughs) Cape Shank, Uh, the RSCV Cape Shank, Uh, and the first time I played down there. So I do love playing golf. I don't get out very often. I have kids and a job apparently. Um, but uh, I was really impressed at the course. It was challenging. Did you like it? It was fun. Yeah, like I I love a course that makes you think. You can't just rock up to the tee and just hit and off you go. Like I want want to be challenged. I want to get onto a green, and I want there to be movement and have to think about it, and, you know, those sorts of things. There were tons of bunkers around some of those greens. Um, It was a lot of fun, and, you know, I've played Metro that's probably the best course I've played. But this was pretty close. Mm. This is really enjoyable. It wasn't too difficult. Uh, I was surprised it wasn't more narrow. I was kind of expecting the mm. way some of the guys were talking it up. I thought I was in all sorts of trouble. But um, for the most part, managed to stay on the fairway. But, uh, yeah, it was, I think it was a good mix of challenging but a little bit forgiving at times, Mm. where it needed to be. I think it was. Um, Yeah, so I I really liked it. It's a public course. You reliably inform me. I didn't realise that. I thought it was for RSCB members only. But no. So, look, if you're looking for a really good golf course, you can even take the wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, down there, stay at the resort. Um, It's good, man. Yeah, just a nice setup. And it's just a beautiful location, too. Like, absolutely stunning. The one in
0: Torquay is really good. Like I remember we went there a few years ago at a conference there and then um, my wife came like the next day and went newborn at the time. They got kids stuff and pool and yeah. whatever. And yeah. It's good fun. Like, yeah. it's, that uh, was really it's, good. The course is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree really with I really enjoyed it. Um, I watched I – I, I've got this rule that I don't like watching movies that are – well, I like watching the old classics, but anything that's older than like – 2017, 18, I'm like that. Nah, well, wow, that's
1: five years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, we talk about 2019, like it just feels like so long ago. Don't you reckon? 2019. It's yes? been a tough
1: couple of years. Like, it's, been a long couple of years.
0: Admittingly, I know there haven't been many movies released yep. uh, after then because right. of COVID. So uh, what do you got? So I bit the bullet uh, and I watched Sleepless with Jamie Fox. Have you seen no, it? No, I haven't seen, He's seen it. He's a cop. He okay. he gets caught up. He, he gets caught up. His his internal um, intelligence or whatever internal bureau is it in in um, uh, in the academy, and he they go on this drug bust, and his partner takes drugs from this drug lord. His son gets kidnapped, and then he's on this mission of you know this one guy trying to take down this whole mob in a casino that the guy runs. That was okay. Um,
1: Plenty of action There's a
0: ton of action Yeah But it's one of those movies Where you think That's just ridiculous Like this guy has got into Like 15 fights (laughs) In the casino By himself And he still Manages it to Like stand up And you know Fight the next war Yeah Um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, look, if you're bored one night, it's like, it's a good movie. Uh, Wheeling
1: Suspension, right? Just six, out a, six out of ten. Six out of ten? Yeah, six uh, out of ten. What have Google rating? gave it a 73, or Google ratings? Rotten Tomatoes, 25%. Yeah. IMDb,
0: 5.6. I, I rely more oh. on
1: IMDb. All right, 5.6 out of ten. And it wasn't... So it wasn't you liked it better than...
0: Look, Rotten Tomatoes is ridiculous. I don't even know why that's even being published these days. (laughs) IMDB I would rely on IMDb and Google. I ended up, I didn't even know what the the scoring was. I ended up between IMDb and Google. It was a $30 $30 million movie. That doesn't sound like a lot of money for a movie, is it?
1: These days. But it was five years ago. That's a long time. (laughs) Inflation.
0: Inflation has (laughs) ripped higher since then. Um, uh, And it was only an hour and a half. So
1: raked in in the box office. Let me a quick look here. Film grossed thirty-three million (laughs) dollars against a budget of thirty. I think maybe that's all you need to know.
0: (laughs) There you go. Uh, Just look at. All right, I'll give it a whirl. Um. All right, hit us, hit us up. Um. We do. We didn't get a chance to respond to some emails that are sitting there. So, um, if you're listening, guys, we will get to them. Um. Drop us a line. We promise you. Uh, But any more questions, hit us up at infobaharianwealth.com.au. We'll catch you next week.
1: Cheers, guys.